rhetorical listeners, and welcome into another episode of the Big Rhetorical Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Wood, and it is week five where I'm at, which puts us about one-third of the way through the semester. Maybe you're at week four, maybe you're at week six, based on your institutional academic calendar. Hang in there, wherever you are. I was on Twitter, and I saw this funny tweet, hashtag team rhetoric, and it was about week five being like the week where things start hitting the fan. And I have to say, I agree with them. So hashtag team rhetoric, week five is when the crap hits the fan, for sure. What are you doing? What are you doing in your free time? Are you getting enough exercise? Are you eating healthy? Are you planning strategically to not get enough exercise and not eat healthily enough. Maybe what I've been doing this week. I am in the middle of comp exams. I've started my first comprehensive exam. It's a 30-day exam with an extensive reading list. Excited to get get it started, but it's a bit daunting, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, these comprehensive exams are, are, are gatekeeping, you know, really devices for, for graduate school and, and they should be taken seriously. I want to pass and I want to pass with distinction. This comprehensive exam is the English studies exam. I'm at Illinois State University, so we have an English studies program. And for this comprehensive exam, I'm to bring two disciplines together. So I'm working with linguistics and rhetoric, specifically digital rhetoric, specifically corpus linguistics, to look at uh, privacy policies of genealogy databases online. And I think it's a project with a lot of potential and I'm excited about it. I was kind of inspired, I suppose, after the town hall at Computers and Writing this year when uh, Jim Purdy and his team uh, presented their findings. I'm not sure who all was on that team. I do apologize. Alas, uh, at their computers at writing town hall, they presented on some research they've been doing where they were looking at, you know, computers and writing programs and they were using corpus linguistic methods and using and and, and their call. And then at the end, you know, there was that call that one moment, like more people in, in, in digital rhetoric need to be doing this type of research. So I took that to heart and held the opportunity in this comprehensive exam. Kind of take a shot at it. So uh, I'll keep you updated. In about four episodes, I guess. If there is four more episodes. If, if there's only three more, then I suppose you probably know how things went. All right. Enough about me, though. Uh, we have a very interesting guest uh, today for the podcast. I'm interviewing Kirk St. Amant, who's at Louisiana Tech University. He's here to talk about two events that he's got going on. The first event is the Louisiana Tech Symposium on Visual Communication and Visual Literacy. That's in Shreveport, January 30th through February 1st of 2020. Make sure to get your proposals in quickly. They're due on uh, Monday, September 30th, and we'll make sure to get all the information on that out to you. And then the second CFP that Kurt's going to be talking about is an international CFP, the University of Strasbourg Symposium on Usability and Design, which is done in collaboration with Louisiana Tech University. That's going to be take, taking place in Strasbourg, France, April 3rd and 4th uh, of next year. And proposals for that event are due Friday, uh, November 1st, 2019. The symposium theme there for the event in Strasbourg is Rethinking Usability and Design. 
examining connections to technical communication and localization. I'm interested to hear what Kirk has to say about that, so let's go ahead and jump right in. So um, who are you? Uh, if applicable, what is your institutional affiliation, your title, and your role with the event Louisiana Tech Symposium on Visual Communication and Visual Literacy? Um, thank you for asking. My name is Kirk Saint-Amont, and I'm a professor at Louisiana Tech University in Ruston, Louisiana. I've got a joint appointment with our uh, Biomedical Research Center, and my jo job here is to work with individuals in the local community as well as in the university to engage in effective healthcare communication practices at the local, at the state, and at the national and even international levels. To that end, I also have collaborative appointments with the University of Limerick in Ireland, uh, Southeast University in China, and Strasbourg University in France. The goal of the symposium that you mentioned is to kind of create a more open access framework to share this kind of information with different populations. So all of these symposia are designed to be free in nature. There's no registration fee. And we do cover the cost of meals. And the objective there is to make them open to invite members of the community, both local, state, and even regional, to attend and meet with different scholars who present information on this topic of visual communication and visual literacy to talk with and learn from them. So the symposium itself is dedicated to two different kinds of sessions. There's the conventional presentation session, and then in the later part of the day, in the afternoon, there's the discussion session where individuals are organized into groups at tables and each table is given a question. Um, what is the greatest challenge in visual communication in your world? And the group has got to negotiate an answer to that and then share it with all in attendance. But the idea is to foster discussion through meeting in this way, which goes back to the mission of my university and my position. In the CFP, you write that researchers, educators, and professional practitioners across different disciplines and industries need to continually review, reflect on, and if needed, revise their understanding of effective visual communication and literacy. Can you talk a bit about the evolution of your understanding of these areas as a scholar and where you are now? Sure. Great question. Um, let's put it in terms of technology. The very first sort of visual communication I remember was a black and white TV set that was probably a smaller screen than my laptop right now. For me, visual literacy involved interaction through that kind of a medium. And as we've seen different media arise and evolve over time from basic home computers to the Internet, to the handheld, to social media, we've seen visual communication and visual literacy in those media shift markedly over time. Uh, to the point where I'm an adaptive visual communicator. The, my, my mental model for visual communication is fused in that 1970s, 1980s idea of what visual communication was then. And I extend that mental model out into technologies that have arisen since. My children grew up in the Internet age, in the, mm. the age of the handheld technology. For them, the natural default mental model for visual communication is the small screen, instant Snapchat kind of communication, the Instagram post versus the highly text-oriented web page. So you see visual communication evolve in these ways across technologies and generations. And so the purpose of kind of that statement is to how do we reflect upon this? 
Um, the biggest challenge you face is one group with one mental model for visual communication and visual literacy attempting to establish what that means for others versus meeting with and talking with other groups to find out what they see as core to visual literacy and visual communication and working with them to enhance our understanding versus dictate what we think should be done, if that makes sense. It does make sense. It does. There's a, something else in the CFP that I found interesting, you list the objectives of the symposium. Mm -hmm. Things like explore opportunities for research partnerships with Mm -hmm. colleagues Mm -hmm. and plan trajectories and discuss conference and publication venues. Mm -hmm. It sounds like your symposium is is forward thinking in that you don't want the ideas to gestate for a day at La Tech, but to go out and do things in the world. Yes, definitely. I mean, the idea is to rethink These kinds of events, they're not information presentation sessions. They are introductions for partnerships and collaborations. So when I walk in and give a presentation on topic X, the idea is not here's what I found. Isn't this great? The idea is here's what I'm working on. What are you working on? How might we collaborate on this? Because let's be honest, most of these topics are bigger than one person, one institution or one industry can take on. They require collaborative partnership. They're too complex to address otherwise. And by providing these kinds of venues for individuals from different backgrounds to meet, they can explore how to take these topics forward and explore them and examine them with the richness that's needed from a multifaceted perspective to truly understand how things work and move society forward. In terms of the topics that are Mm -hmm. listed on the CFP, do Mm -hmm. you mind talking a bit about what conference presenters and attendees might expect to see at the conference? Um, I think you'll see there'll be I think you'll see there'll be sort of a disconnect in some cases in terms of what a conference presentation is. So, for example, the way that the description of the conference is written, individuals are told you get 15 to 20 minutes for an individual presentation, followed by 15 to 10 minutes of question and answer. But there's no sort of explication in terms of what should a presentation look like. And I think that's where it's going to get interesting is because part of the exercise is realizing different fields and different areas, different sectors, if you will, Um, industry versus nonprofit versus government versus educational will have different approaches to presenting this information. And so part of the exercise is learning how these different groups do that to figure out how to better interact with them and collaborate with them. Um, Unfortunately, many of us exist in silos. This is my discipline. I go to conferences in my discipline. This is how we do things. And it becomes an almost communities of practice approach to understanding conferences. Whereas if we open it up and keep it ambiguous and allow people to present the way that they're used to, we can create new models and new frameworks through seeing what others do, how others approach it, and maybe even collaborating with them. The more people I talk to, the more conference organizers that I talk to, this sounds like rethinking the format of the symposium or the conference is something that everyone's doing right now. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. Uh, I mean, we're the world has changed dramatically. We're seeing greater interest in greater society wanting to know what academics are doing. We're seeing more interest from the private sector in determining what public sector institutions are trying to work on and vice versa. And so I think you're seeing conferences across fields try to reorient themselves in relation to these new trends and these new interests. 
for potential presenters who are not familiar with Louisiana Tech University or mm-hmm. Shreveport mm-hmm. or even the symposium on uh, visual communication and visual literacy, mm-hmm. how is your project team working to be an accessible conference for all attendees? Well, we're doing a couple of things. And let's talk about accessibility in terms of different definitions. Okay. So there's accessibility of finance. And for many of us, I mean, the first conference attendance comes down to a matter of personal finances. Can I afford mm-hmm. to travel to this venue? Can I afford to register for it? And so in terms of those financial access things, we can't control the lo- physical location, but we can try to mitigate the co- overall conference cost by making it free registration. And again, by free food, if you will. So one of the the things that Louisiana Tech is trying to emphasize is community engagement involves in inviting individuals in by minimizing the cost that they have to put up to do something. Now, sadly, we can't cover costs of travel and we can't cover costs of lodging, but by removing the registration fees and the meal costs, hopefully we can encourage participation because overall, ideally would be less expensive, if that makes sense, from a theoretical perspective. As a graduate student, I'm very appreciative of that approach. Oh, sure. sure. And, but this is the other thing. If you look at how the call is written, accessibility – that nothing says the field you have to come from, the degree you need to have, or even that you need to be an academic. And so we're back to this is open to individuals with an interest. And that's why when you read the different organi- the different groups it's open to, it's about the topic. Are you interested in this topic? It's not are you in this field? And so I think we're looking at accessibility in terms of areas of interest and areas of expertise, bringing those individuals together. Uh, Now, in terms of accessibility, which when we talk about accessibility and disability studies, we're still kind of working with building the website and building all the other materials for the the symposium to try to be accessible in that range as well. And so the notion is to kind of think about accessibility in these broader, larger scopes and scales. In fact, one of the points that's repeated in the call, if you look for it, topics, areas of focus, and so forth, is rethinking accessibility. What does it mean? How do we need to rethink it so that it encompasses all of these dynamics and dimensions? Um, And I think the biggest thing in terms of accessibility is putting people from different backgrounds in the same space to discuss the same things and asking, what does accessibility mean to you? What do we need to do to meet your expectations of accessibility according to where you are in life? And building from understanding what audiences need versus imposing based upon prior practice what we think audiences want, if that makes sense. It does. Shifting gears a bit, could you yes, briefly just – could you briefly describe your guidelines for people who want to uh, sign up to present or attend the symposium? Um, sure. The guidelines are fairly simple. Um, the call for papers has in it, you know, send your proposal here. There are 200 to 300 word proposals. And pretty much it comes down to what's your name? What's your preferred email address? Where, kind of where do you work to at least give us an idea of how to list you in a program? And then a brief description of what you'd like to present on. And in that presentation, it's, well, here's the topic I wish to discuss. Here is how it connects to the theme of the symposium, visual communication and visual literacy. This is the method or approach we're taking to examining this topic. And then here's the big part, the takeaways. Here's what we want attendees to take from this presentation, how they can think about, apply, use, explicate what we've discussed to enhance and improve their situation or their context in relation to this topic. 
Uh, and I think that, but that's where discussion begins. If you conclude with, here's what we think is in it for you, we can begin the, the discussion, the question and answer part with, okay, can you explain that a bit more? Or I'm not sure if this will work. Can we talk about it? But the idea is we've got to talk about stuff by kind of providing individuals with ideas for how to use things because it's only through these conversations we can move forward. Um, there's an Acadian expression, you speak with people, you don't talk at them. And so that's kind of the main focus for the symposium. We need to be speaking with and listening to each other, not simply, I'm going to talk at you, thank you for your time, and sit down. What do conference goers have to look forward to in Shreveport and Bossier City? What do we need to do and see while we're in town, community sites, uh, university-affiliated sites, restaurants, things like that? That is an excellent question. Um, and to be frank with you, I'd leave that to the individuals. And I'm not trying to be glib here. Um, but, I mean, we've given folks a location. And I think it's to each individual's idea to figure out, well, what do I think is worthwhile? What do I find when I search for it? But one of the things we're planning on doing moving forward is to kind of collect, if you will, message boards and ask people moving through, well, if you've had a chance to research it, what do you think is kind of cool or what do you think might be worthwhile doing here? And ideally build organically events, sites, restaurants, those kinds of things. Because what you're hoping will happen is someone says, man, I really want to try this restaurant. Uh, is this something that most people want to meet up and go out and try? I would really like to go to this event. Cool. Is this something folks would want to meet up and try? But this kind of organic, can we build meetups based upon off of interest or people asking questions? Again, it's more about how do we foster discussion through interest and in, in investigation and engagement versus tell people where to go and what to do. Mm. I hope that makes I really, sense. It does, and I appreciate that. And I appreciate that answer to that question as well. Where can listeners and potential conference goers find your find you online? Social media, website, email? Um, we should have the symposium website up and running by next week. And if I might, I can send you the link for that URL to perhaps be included with the podcast. Sure. Um, right now, the social media presence for the symposium will simply be the website at this point in time. We don't have a social media person. However, this is a perfect volunteer opportunity. If someone would like to sort of come forward and say, I'd like to get involved, can I run the Facebook group for it? I'd like to get involved. Can I want to, I'm going to just reveal my age and ignorance. Is it called the Twitter handle? A Twitter handle. That's correct. Okay, cool. If someone would like to step up and, and do that, you know, um, but again, the idea is, can we make symposia engagement events it's not this organization is putting this on it's hey y'all here's a space i have who wants to come in and do what think of it as a potluck who wants mm -hmm. to come in and do what and contribute what i'll put up the space and provide the dishes but what do you want to bring to the table um and i wish to point out that louisiana tech is hosting this for the first time with the idea that someone else might want to take it over but the idea is let's not lock an event into a location, but who is interested in building these kinds of organic communities? It could be multiple events simultaneously, multiple events throughout the year, but we've got to continue the conversation. So we'll provide an initial setting, if you will, and we're happy to do it again next year. But we really want folks to think about how to become more involved and do, to them, do for themselves also and expand discussion around it. Is there anything else that you haven't talked about about the uh, symposium on visual communication and visual literacy that you want to mention? I think the biggest thing is to really make sure that we focus on not just here are the ideas and here is the research, but here is the education connected to it. 
So one of the things you'll see folks, especially conference symposium moderators focusing on, is asking individuals, how do you integrate this into the classroom? How do you integrate this into lifelong learning processes? Because literacy and, and communication ability is a lifelong educational process. So it's making sure people build this into and think about it moving forward, I think, is what we hope becomes a core component of these symposia. Thanks for asking. Yeah, for sure. Kirk, one of the things that I appreciated when you reached out to me is that you didn't want to just talk about the symposium on visual communication and visual literacy. You also wanted to talk about the uh, symposium at the University of of Strasbourg. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. What's the name of that symposium? I knew you were going to ask me that one shake real quick. <laughs> no, it's called so, the University of Strasbourg Symposium on Usability and Design. Design. <laughs> and okay. it's yes, it's done in collaboration with Louisiana Tech. Um, it, it's the same model we just talked about. Free registration. The kind of the food component will hopefully be covered at some point in time. Free space in exchange for individuals convening in a space and meeting. Um, in this case, because the University of Strasbourg is serving as the host, you know, it's their event. And uh, Louisiana Tech is essentially doing the coordination part, building the program, helping to put together the website, doing the promotional work, those kinds of things. Um, it'll be held in Strasbourg, France, April 3rd and 4th. That's the first Friday and Saturday in April. And the idea is to bring together folks from hopefully across Europe and the world to talk about issues of translation and localization technical communication and usability and design. Um, and the idea here being kind of like with visual literacy and visual communication, those are ambiguous terms that are defined by the individual using them at any point in time. So can we get together and talk about from a larger perspective what those things are, what they mean, and how we can modify and evolve our understanding of them through interacting with each other? So that's kind of the general premise of it. Um, go ahead, please. The theme of the conference is rethinking usability and design, examining connections to technical communication and localization. Why, why was that theme chosen? Um, I think, well, a couple of reasons. Uh, usability kind of permeates everything. It, it, if it's usable or not determines if it's effective or not. So it kind of becomes the overarching umbrella. In terms of technical communication and localization, localization is all about you design things for a specific audience based upon where they are both in terms of their their life and in terms of their geopolitical context. And so the only way something becomes usable is understanding who your audience is and where they are. The technical communication part is kind of tied into that because to talk about something, you need to be able to articulate or communicate about it using different technologies to develop different kinds of texts, if you will, from written text to visual text to auditory text. Um, so it seemed to make sense to bind these three things together to really think about in terms of what is usable when we interact and how do we design things, localize them to make them more usable based upon audiences and use technical communication or understand how to use different technologies to communicate about them, to share these ideas. So that's kind of how the whole process came together with this overall thematic concentration. Thank you for asking. Yeah, sure. In the CFP, it, mm-hmm. uh, you write, as technologies evolve and change, what constitutes usable designs and what constitutes usability is also in a continual state of change. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about what this means and where the field stands now? Oh, sure. I mean, again, we're back to when you think about technologies, what's a usable design? Well, a usable web page 20 years ago was something you could display on your desktop computer and everything was hunky-dory. Well, now we know that you've got to have 
designs that need to be scalable for mobile phones or mobile devices. And pretty soon we're probably going to have designs that have to be scalable for things like glasses-based internet technologies or even you know the wristwatch that you wear that can display internet design. So that's an example of rethinking usability as technologies evolve. But also societies evolve. I mean, you and I, as, as part of Anglo-American society, we use our mobile phones in certain ways to do certain things. That's not a universal behavior with that technology. Individuals in China will use that same technology in different ways using different platforms to accomplish different objectives. So whenever you design a technology or design for it, you can't simply say the way we do it here in our culture is going to be universal. It's a matter of, well, how are other people using this? And what do we need to know about those usage patterns either to design for them or work with them so that we can engage in more effective intercultural, international, and sort of greater overall discussions about these topics. And that's how it comes down to usability. What's usable for you and me and our culture in our context and our setting is drastically different from others. We need to understand what those contexts are to design for them so we can communicate effectively. Agreed. Absolutely. The CFP lists uh, some odd topics for presentations. Mm -hmm. uh, could you talk a little bit about what the symposium is looking for in a submission? Uh, we're kind of back to the same. It's a 250-word sort of 300-word proposal, and it's that same basic format we talked about before. Okay. What, who, who are you? What's your affiliation? What's your email address? What's the title of your talk? What, how does it connect to the topic of the symposium? What's the sort of overall method you're going to use to broach it? And again, we're back to takeaways. What are the takeaways that individuals attending can draw from this to apply and it's that same symposium model of speak with, don't talk at. The idea is as much of the event will be dedicated to discussion and question and answer and interaction as it will be to presentation to really foster effective and meaningful interactions. Um, so if, if you will, that's kind of one sort of thing Louisiana Tech is trying to export as a model. How do you make events accessible in terms of the cost and availability, and how do you use them to foster discussion versus present information? Um, so you'll see, hopefully, Tech will be doing more of these, not just within Louisiana, but internationally, which the Strasbourg Symposium is kind of a pilot study in that. But ideally, we'd like to have this model used more and more and more to enhance the ability for individuals to participate, but also to advocate for more discussion around than presentation at. So for potential presenters or attendees uh -huh. who are not familiar with the University of Strasbourg, uh -huh. France, or the uh -huh. Symposium on Usability and Design, how is your project team working to be accessible for the conference attendees? Um, well, we're kind of back to what we – great question again. What we talked about with the sure. Symposium on Visual Design, it's, well, how do we make it accessible in terms of cost? How do we make it accessible according to multiple fields? Again, it's written broadly enough that mm -hmm. individuals from multiple disciplines could hopefully find something they could come present on. And there's no prescriptive, a presentation must be done in this way mm -hmm. to, again, foster that kind of interaction. Um, in terms of accessibility from, again, accessibility and disability studies, um, ideally we'll be able to work with the web design and web development program at the University of Strasbourg to build designs that are compliant. And in this case, I think we're going to see an interesting fusion of concepts of compliance because instead of working with ADA guidelines in the United States, we're now working with EU accessibility guidelines, which right. are quite different. And so mm -hmm. hopefully this will give us the opportunity to work together, collaborate on, and learn from each other along those lines. What, do, what does the idea of accessibility mean across cultural contexts? Sure. I certainly don't expect you to be a uh, 
expert on this, but as someone who's never traveled to Europe, I don't know anything about the EU accessibility guidelines, and perhaps you, you don't either. But do you have perhaps an example that you might share about what those differences are? Um, you know, I'll be frank with you. I'm not okay. well-versed enough to answer that intelligently. Okay, sure. Um, but what I do know is there, there are many individuals who work in this realm consider them a bit more stringent than ADA guidelines in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there could be – because they span the 28 member nations of the EU, their, their um, ability to shape global perspectives – and global idea ideas around this topic, I think, could be very beneficial. Mm. So hopefully that can be something we can showcase at this event to begin discussions around and begin learning of it. Because it usability accessibility transcends usability, it transcends technical communication, and it transcends localization. It's something we all need to know about to fit into these areas. So it's a great way to foster discussion. You mentioned earlier you had an appointment at the University of Strasbourg. Mm-hmm. How long how long have you had that appointment? Could you tell a little bit about what that is? Sure. It's just recently, and I'm a research fellow and instructor with them. And so I teach a course over, over the summer um, in, of all things, usability and design. And so the University of Strasbourg, in many of their programs in technical communication and in localization and in, in web design, work with individuals who research or work in different areas who participate as instructors for these given programs. So it's kind of a nice synergy in terms of you, not only do your students come from – it's they're online programs. Not only are your students located all over the globe, but so are your instructors. And so it kind of creates this interesting – context where people can interact across physical spaces and virtual environments, in many cases to negotiate linguistic differences, cultural differences, geopolitical differences, but really discuss things from a much more multifaceted perspective than we might be able to in a fixed brick and mortar location. Is there anything else about the University of Strasbourg Symposium on usability and design that you want to mention? Um, I think a couple of things, and they have to do with the location. Okay. Um, I mean, Strasbourg itself, and I hope I don't mix this up, it's the home for the EU Parliament. So not only is it a hub in France, it's also a hub for the EU. So individuals interested in your mentioning accessibility issues and policy issues, this would be a key place to go to learn about that from the legislative structure that governs the overall geopolitical entity. I mean, Strasbourg historically has also been a part of France or of Germany at different points in history. So you've got a specific region that's got a very rich cultural heritage that is very uh, intercultural in nature and multilinguistic in nature. So Instead of kind of the general stereotype we might have of I visit Paris, I can expect this. This is a very different culture within France that I think could be beneficial to individuals either who are exploring France for the first time or have been to you know certain parts of France, let's say Paris or Bordeaux or Marseille, and want to see, well, what are different regional perspectives like and cultures like? It could be a valuable opportunity that way also. Thank you so much for uh, joining us uh, today, Kirk, on the podcast. Is there anything else you want to mention before we let you off here to go enjoy some of that nice Louisiana heat? <laughs> um, thank you. The Louisiana heat comes with Louisiana air conditioning. Amen. Yes. Oh, um, yes. But I want to thank you for doing these. These podcasts, I think, are essential to sharing information in the field. And I want to commend you for taking this on. And thank you for the opportunity to do this. I really appreciate it. Thank you for what you're doing. No, thank you for the kind word, Kirk. Kind words, Kirk. Uh, we'll talk to you later. Thank you, sir. You take care.
Alright, that was my conversation with Dr. Kurt St. Amat. I want to thank him for joining uh, me today on the podcast. He was really quite generous to come on and was quite generous when we were chatting and recording too. So thank you again to Kirk. I do want to make sure everyone has the information since Kirk was here talking about two different conference opportunities. The first one was the Louisiana Tech Symposium on Visual Communication and Visual Literacy, and that's in Shreveport, uh, Bossier City, uh, uh, January 30th through February 1st, 2020. Proposals are due September 30th. And then the second event, which Kurt was here talking about, is the University of Strasbourg Symposium on Usability and Design, and that's done in collaboration with Louisiana Tech University. That's actually going to be in Strasbourg, France, April 3rd and 4th, 2020. Proposals for that event are due November 1st, 2019. You can find all that information online. We'll make sure to tweet out information that we have for those opportunities. Well, I suppose that's it for this episode of the Big Rhetorical Podcast. I hope you're doing well. Until next time, be kind to one another and always be listening rhetorically.